We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back. April 27th, 2021. Winston Churchill taught us, according to Leo Strauss, that we involved in politics, either as citizens or political science, quote, are supposed to train ourselves and others in seeing things as they are. And this means, above all, in seeing their greatness and their misery, their excellence and their vileness, their nobility and their triumphs, and therefore never to mistake mediocrity, however brilliant, for true greatness. In our age, this duty demands of us in the first place that we liberate ourselves from the notion that value statements cannot be factual statements, close quote. There's that old fact-value distinction we can talk more about later if you want. But the main point here is the one most easily forgotten, especially in our academic and intellectual classes. The main point, often forgotten, is we are supposed to train ourselves and others in seeing things as they are, and then, of course, making judgments about them. But the judgments cannot come or be fair or rational if they are based on faulty or false data or propaganda or suppositions that don't bear out. The left may tell us the view that America is a great country is a value, not a fact. I happen to think we can summon reason and intellect sufficient enough to proclaim it a fact. Start with the question of compared to what? But the odd thing, I guess the tribute hypocrisy pays to relativism, is that the left will tell you it is not only a value that America was never that great, but also a fact. In other words, the values and facts the left likes to tell us are not and cannot be one and the same is only true for conservatives. They turn their values, if not into facts, then into near theological certainties all the time. Nowhere is this more true in our politics than when it comes to crime and race or policing and race. Where the police are charged with protecting citizens under the laws of the state, they are seen as obviously an arm of the state, a defender of, a protector of the government, or at least the law, as well as the fellow citizens. But these police are also something else. They are imperfect human beings. And if you push them enough, make their lives miserable enough, assume the worst about them a priori, you will get headlines like this, quote, City Police Department Losing Officers at an Alarming Rate, close quote. That's in Poughkeepsie. And just in Poughkeepsie, over 200 years of policing experience will be lost with the early retirements there. How about this headline, quote, NYPD experiences 75% increase in early departures, close quote. And then... In violation of all common sense, we learn what C.S. Lewis told us. You cannot remove the organ and demand the function. You, now, you cannot castrate the herd 
and bid the geldings be fruitful. And yet that's exactly what we try to do. We inflate and exaggerate police racism. We make the lives of police already perhaps the most stressful, stressful position, already perhaps the most stressful profession in the country. We make the lives of police suspect and miserable. And we wonder how is it violent crime increased at an unprecedented level and police are quitting all at the same time. Mitch Album is a tremendously interesting person and writer. I give you his most recent. When U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was asked last summer what society would look like with defunded police, she naively answered, a suburb. Not exactly. I know what a nation with weakened or underfunded police looks like. I see it every month in Haiti. Some readers know that for the last 11 years, I've operated an orphanage in Port-au-Prince. Last weekend, another orphanage just outside of town was attacked in the middle of the night. According to media reports, more than 15 armed assailants scaled fences, blocked the entrance, and proceeded to kill a security guard, rape a 15-year-old girl and a 27-year-old woman, sexually assault a 13-year-old, beat down the director and his wife, and ransack the property, all while demanding money the orphanage didn't have. The police can't do anything, the manager told the Miami Herald. My wife, my wife, my wife kept calling and couldn't get through. You might think a poor orphanage would be safe, even where criminality is high. Yet that same weekend, five Catholic priests and two nuns were captured, kidnapped in Haiti on the way to their parish. They are being held for a ridiculous ransom. Abductions and kidnappings of all kinds, clerics, tourists, even poor citizens who have nothing, happen almost daily now in Haiti. Gangs control the streets. Men on motorcycles swoop in and attack. You constantly hear the police can't do anything. Last month, a dozen members of a SWAT team tried to change that. They drove two armored vehicles into a shantytown that is home to one of Haiti's most dangerous gangs. The people in that area shouted and pointed at the police, believed they were directed them to the gang's headquarters. Instead, according to Haiti's largest weekly newspaper, they were led into a giant hole where gang members then opened fire, killing four of the officers, wounding eight others, and dragging the dead bodies through the streets. They also captured both armored vehicles, burned one, kept the other, and stole all the weapons, body armor, armor, and they also stole radio equipment. We've been calling the police for backup for two hours, one of the SWAT officers pleaded in a phone call while he was pinned down, but they've never sent it. Right now, it's every man for himself. They're trying to burn six of our guys in one of the vehicles. I will never remain on this police force. I have a wife and children. If they don't send back up soon, I'm going to shoot myself because I don't want the bandits to finish with me in their way. Close quote. That phone call was both shocking and illuminating. The police in Haiti are limited, underpaid, underprotected. As a result, many have chosen to stand down in the face of increased violence or worse, to look the other way and help the criminals in their attacks. The citizens, realizing the police can't help them, often become reliant on gangs for protection. Today, one of Haiti's most noted gang leaders is himself a former cop. Now, Haiti is not America, and its challenges are unique, but the triangular relationship between criminals, citizens, and police 
is basic. The weaker the police become, the more emboldened the criminals become, and the more endangered the citizens become. Haiti, by the way, has much more restrictive gun laws than the U.S. It doesn't stop the weapons flow to the people who do the most harm. I wonder what many beleaguered Haitians who only wish a police officer could be summoned with an answered phone call think of our current outcries in America to get rid of the police, end the police, declaw, or defund the police. Or the off-the-wall statement posted by Rashida Tlaib last week, quote, I am done with those who condone government-funded murder. No more policing, incarceration, and militarization. It can't be reformed, close quote. I'm not sure what Tlaib, if she got her way, would do with people who kill, rob, and rape others. Can't police them, can't use force against them, can't put them in jail. What would it look like? Oh, yeah, what I've described in Haiti. Most rational people agree that police behavior in the George Floyd and Duante Wright cases and others like them cannot and should not be tolerated. Reform is desperately needed in training, de-escalation, attitude, sensitivity, perception. But to observe what happened with Duante Wright, the 20-year-old black man who, after a traffic stop in suburban Minneapolis, was shot by a police officer who mistakenly used her gun instead of a taser, and then conclude the answer is no more police, is nonsensical. And the idea that such deadly encounters happen frequently and therefore leave no conclusion but to throw out the whole system is a media-driven impression, not a factual one. There may be people who value it. It's just not true. There are millions of encounters between police and citizens every year, hundreds of millions. Yet from 2015 to 2020, according to the Washington Post and Statista, the number of civilians shot and killed by police has stayed about the same, around 1,000 a year. That's 1,000 a year killed, many of whom are armed, threatening, or committing a crime at the time. This in a nation, 1,000 killed in a nation of 330 million people. A little less than half of those killed are white. A little less than a quarter are black. A little less than a fifth are Hispanic. Meanwhile, during the same stretch, according to NPR, officers have fatally shot at least 135 unarmed black men and women over that five-year period. That averages to 22 per year. That's still 22 too many, agreed, Absolutely. But the black population in America is 42 million. So as a percentage, annually, the number of unarmed killed is less than 0.000001%. Less than one one millionth of a percent, if my math is right. Does it feel like that? Or do politicians and talking heads jump on individual cases and stretch them over months of coverage, creating the impression that the problem is far more pervasive than the numbers indicate? Word people in dangerous neighborhoods are usually the last ones screaming to defund the police. Politicians, they should note that. Demanding change and accountability in how officers offer, operate makes total sense. Junking the police does not. 
A country with a weakened undermined or absent law enforcement isn't a suburb. It's a scary place. Ask Haiti. I'll say it again. Recognizing things as they truly are seems simple or simple-minded, perhaps even old-fashioned. But as Phil Coulson in The Avengers says, with everything that's happening, the things that are about to come to light, people might just need a little old-fashioned right now. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. My friend Jim just sent me this. There's been a little discussion about it. Not enough. Dion Joseph, African-American Los Angeles Police Department officer. Have you seen this? Have you seen this, Bill? Uh, penned a letter to NBA star LeBron James. You did see this. It's all over the place. Requesting a meeting so that he can educate James on the reality of policing. The letter came after James targeted a police officer last week who shot and killed a young girl who was attempting to stab another girl. LeBron James responded to the shooting within 24 hours after it happened and after the body camera footage had already been released by tweeting a photograph of the police officer and writing in all caps, your next accountability. Hashtag accountability. James included an emoji of an hourglass, which is used to, signify, used to signify that time is running out. Joseph, who has become well-known for his outreach on Skid Row, an area with rampant homelessness, wrote the following open letter to James. I read it now. Dear, uh-huh. Clay Travis, a.k.a. Sports Seth, has talked about this. Why is Clay Travis Sports Seth? It's like listening to you, but about sports. Oh, really? He also has a law background. Is that right? Are Clay and I very much alike? I would say so. He's the best comp to you that I could find. No kidding. Comp. Comparable. In real estate terms. And you saved yourself a lot of time by just saying comp. Oh, yes. Okay. We made up for it now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) FAQ frequently asks questions. Dear LeBron, I'm not going to come at you from a place of hatred. There will be no name-calling. I was raised to see the whole of a human being, not to hyper-focus on their flaws or make said flaws the whole of who they are. I'm an honest man. This guy knows how to write. What you do for children and other acts of charity shows a huge heart. You show to be a family man, and that's to be respected. You play for the team my family has cheered for since the 1960s, then myself since 1979. But your current stance on policing is off-base and extreme. Your tweet that targeted a police officer in Ohio saved a young woman's life was irresponsible and disturbing. It showed a complete lack of understanding of the challenge of our job in the heat of a moment. You basically put a target on the back of a human being who had to make a split-second decision to save a life from a deadly attack. A decision I know he and many others wish they never had to make, especially when it involves someone young. 
Instead of apologizing, you deflected. You said you took your tweet down because you did not want it to be used for hate when the tweet itself was the embodiment of hatred, rooted in a lack of understanding of the danger of the situation. I don't know if you'll ever see this, but my hope is that one day I can sit down with you and talk. As a man of faith, I can have no hatred towards you, but I do feel I can help you understand reality, the profession, policing, and that there is another side you need to hear. You are tired of black folks dying. So am I. You hate racism and police brutality. So do I. But you cannot paint 800,000 men and women who are of all races, faiths, sexual orientations, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, preachers, coaches, community members, and just human with such a broad and destructive brush. Unlike some who have dug their heels in the belief that police are inherently evil, I think if you yourself actually sat down, had a real honest, open conversation with a cop, there's a strong chance you may discover we are not the monsters you have come to believe we are, who deserve the hate and disdain you have. And even if you come away feeling the same way, I could respect it because at least you gave the other side your ear instead of only one narrative. The offer is on the table, LeBron. No cameras, no fanfare, just two men who care, talking. I know it's a long shot, but this division and hatred must stop. It's clear, based on rising crime and marginalized communities, that cops and the community need to build bridges to save lives on all sides. That cannot be done through the demonization of any group of people. Just putting it out in the universe, brother, even if not for me, please take the time to talk to a police officer instead of judging them. No shade. Thanks for all the positive things you do. Well, I'll tell you, if I uh, represent LeBron James, I'm going to encourage him to do this. Because I don't think you'll ever find a more decent example of outreach where he reiterates any number of times. He doesn't say it exactly, but he reiterates any number of times there's no hate in his heart. And that as a man who believes in God, he simply can't hate LeBron. And he speaks very respectfully to him as well. So it may not be LeBron may say, who is this guy? Why do I have talk to him. Well, LeBron's manager or PR person might say to him, um, you've offended 800,000 people. You've offended an entire profession. You've created concern in a community that respects you. And an institution, a profession that you rely on. There are tweets that have been discovered of LeBron James thanking the police for helping him in escorts to events, concerts, shows, you know, when it affects and suits his privilege. Good letter, sir. Well done. Well done. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dombrowski with Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He gives us our culture and economy update every day this time. His website, grandcanyonplanning.com. His radio show, The Word on Wealth, available here 
every Saturday at 7 a.m. Hi, John Dombrowski. Hello there, Seth. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. How are you doing? Fantastic. Good. I want to talk to you about fraud in a second because you're always so good about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, unemployment fraud is uh, the latest thing you want to warn us about. And I really do appreciate that. But before, sure. you were mentioning yesterday that we're going to start seeing some earnings coming in and it's going to be a big deal. I see over at CNBC, Alphabet reports big earnings. Yes. Microsoft books biggest revenue growth in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. All pretty impressive, yes? Yep. These are big tech companies. We had, um, uh, we've got Apple coming up as well, reporting. We had Tesla report yesterday. Uh, all of these companies reported and actually beat expectations from the Wall Street pundits. And what we've seen, uh, and it's interesting to see this, but oftentimes we see this buildup while uh, getting ready to report earnings. And we saw some positive uh, movement on these stocks. And then after earnings, even though the companies had beat on their earnings, we're st- we saw a little bit of a pullback on them. And this is this is fairly normal to see this. So I don't want people to be concerned about it or upset about it if you own some of these companies. Remember, uh, the stock market is a long-term game. And uh, you've got to make sure that you're comfortable with the investments that you hold and that you're going to be holding them for the long term. Excellent. Excellent. Now, talk to us about this issue that you're always so aggressive about, and that's great that you are. Unemployment. Unemployment fraud costs victims $200 billion annually. Yeah. Talk to us about what it is, how to spot it, how to know what's happening, and what to do. So I, I have actually had personal uh, experience with this, Seth. I had received in my mailbox a debit card, and it was from a bank – Uh, here, one of the big banks in the country, and it said, here is your uh, unemployment, you know, card, (laughs) and it's it's from uh, the Department of Economic Security saying that I was approved for my unemployment, and I'm like, well, I didn't apply for unemployment. How could this happen? So I immediately got on the phone or the website, and I uh, reported it as a fraud, and I made a claim against it, and uh, fortunately, I think I caught it in time uh, because I received the debit card, right? Uh, but there may be a lot of people out there who receive some type of notification that maybe they received income over the period of a year, and it's a form. Sometimes it might be a 1099 form that they'll receive, and they're wondering, well, what is this 1099 for? Well, it's very possible that someone may have filed for unemployment on your Social Security number, and you might get this Form 1099-G, which is unemployment insurance. So if you do receive something like that, you've got to be proactive with this. Don't let this just sit and forget about it. You've got to report the fraud immediately. There are, uh, you can go to websites depending on what state. This is interesting too, Seth. I've had a number of my clients come to me and say that they received a letter from a state that they don't even reside in that someone used their social security number to um, apply for unemployment benefits in a different state. So this is happening across the country. And I think with all of the issues that we've had with COVID-19, with all of the unemployment that occurred, um, the government has been overwhelmed with these um, you know, applications, and so unfortunately, 
uh, it's going to take most most likely longer for them to be able to catch up with all of the fraud that's occurring right now. But if you're, uh, in this case, uh, someone who has gotten hit with this identity theft, please call uh, you know the local authorities as well. You can file a report with the police. You could file a report with the Department of Labor. There are a variety of different places that you can go to file reports. And to protect your credit, you may want to freeze your credit as well. Nice. Nice. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Uh, let me tell let me ask you, um, are we going to see some more uh, reporting over the next couple of days on yes. earnings? Yep. Yeah, we still have more earnings to go. We're about uh, at least halfway through earnings season right now. So but there's more to come and we'll see the markets uh, seem to be holding up fairly well right now. Thank you, John Dombrowski. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and Tippic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Seth. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Talk to you soon. Yes. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. If you're thinking about going solar and getting rid of your power bills and stop giving your money away to the power companies, I want you to check out my friend, Solar Sandy. Solar Sandy has an amazing reputation for honesty. And she is the one who truly figured out how to zero out your power bill by going solar. She has a great deal right now. If you sign up with Solar Sandy right now, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year. And you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. That's right. No solar panel payments, no power bill for 12 months, and a $1,000 bonus at signing. There's no better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. Again, to get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com and let Sandy do all the work. Or give her a call at 623-850-8229 and tell her I sent you. The big news today, and it's odd, really, really odd, um, is the CDC's new guidelines on vaccinations and masks. First of all, can someone clearly and concisely tell me, after all the stories today, what you can and can't do vis-a-vis vaccinations and masks? Here's the AP. (laughs) Couldn't be more confusing. They have taken something so simple and made this so confusing. Here's the AP. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention eased its guidelines Tuesday on the wearing of masks outdoors, saying fully vaccinated Americans don't need to cover their faces anymore unless they are in a big crowd of strangers. And those who are unvaccinated can go outside without masks in some situations as well. Okay, for most of the past year, the CDC has been advising Americans to wear masks outdoors if they are within six feet of one another. 
Quote, today, I hope, is a day when we can take another step back to the normalcy of before, Dr. Rachel Walensky, CDC director, said. Over the past year, we have spent a lot of time telling Americans what you can't do. Today, I'm going to tell you some of the things you can do if you are fully vaccinated. First of all, I got to tell you, I find this whole level of rhetoric to be ridiculous, to be paternalistic. Is there someone, anyone in this country? I think there are. We'll probably call them Karens. Sitting around, hanging on to every word of Rachel Walensky's and saying, oh, yeah, no, you were telling me what I can't do. I'm just waiting for you to tell me what I can do. Does any normal American think that way about the CDC director? Did anyone even know what the CDC was? I mean, I did, but did most people even know what the CDC was until 2020? Now there's a doctor there who's going to tell us what we can and cannot do. By the way, by the way, head of the CDC, maybe the most important person in the country when it comes to the coronavirus. Who was the last one? Who was Donald Trump's director of the CDC? Right. Exactly. Exactly. The same person who said masks will be more important than vaccines. Robert Redfield is the answer in case he was on the tip of your tongue. Okay, so what can you do according to the CDC if you're vaccinated? (laughs) The funny thing is they put out a chart. They put out a chart. One side and column is unvaccinated people and one side is fully vaccinated people. So both unvaccinated and fully vaccinated people don't have to wear a mask to walk, run or bike outdoors alone or with members of your household. All right. That's a good start because we started to shame an awful started. We have been shaming a lot of runners and bikers for not wearing masks. That's over. By the way, again, my question, what did they know and when did they know it? Because people have been saying this for a year, a year. Who else in both columns, unvaccinated and vaccinated, doesn't have to wear a mask? If you attend a small outdoor gathering with fully vaccinated family and friends, you don't have to wear a mask. If you attend a small outdoor gathering with fully vaccinated and unvaccinated people, The vaccinated don't have to wear a mask. The vaccinated, excuse me, the vaccinated don't have to wear a mask. The unvaccinated do. Got it? If you attend a small outdoor gathering with fully vaccinated and unvaccinated people, the unvaccinated have to mask. The vaccinated don't. Okay? If you attend a crowded outdoor event, like a live performance parade or sporting event, Unvaccinated have to mask, fully vaccinated have to mask. So you're telling me you're sitting in a stadium outside. Who knows what social distancing is? God knows you're with your family or maybe they have a seat in between. You got a mask, vaccinated or not. Visiting a barber or hair salon, vaccinated or not, you got a mask. Going to an uncrowded indoor shopping center or museum, You got a mask, vaccinated or not. Ride public transportation, 
even with limited ox, uh, occupancy, vaccinated or not, you got a mask. Attending a small indoor gathering of fully vaccinated and unvaccinated people from multiple house, households, vaccinated and unvaccinated, you got a mask. Indoor movie theater, you got a mask, regardless. Worship service, you got a mask, regardless. Singing in an indoor chorus. <laughs> this is fun. There's someone. There's someone at the CDC who's thinking of normal American activities. Singing at an indoor chorus. Yes, we need to have that column covered. Well, easy enough. Vaccinated and not, you have to mask. Uh, eating at an indoor restaurant or bar, both people have to mask. Participating in an indoor high-intensity exercise class, you got to mask, even if you're vaccinated. I can't think of anything more unhealthy. And, of course, by the way, this all applies this all applies to people two years old and up. Because remember, the CDC said, if you're three, you got a mask. If they're looking for ways to get people not to take the second vaccine or any vaccine, this is a great way to do it. Put this chart out. Oh, I'm getting vaccinated, but I can't go to an outdoor event like a live performance without wearing a mask. <laughs> they have taken something so simple. That we have known about the states have been ahead. A lot of the states have been ahead of the feds on this, by the way, with their anti-masking mandates. I'll have more to say in a moment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. Pat is in Phoenix. Hello, Pat. Yes, Seth. I was just wondering if. Someone can identify as a different gender and not get challenged on that. Can I identify as vaccinated? I don't know why not. I don't know why not. I mean, you know, if if it's just basically your state of mind and you've grown around, Pat, people who, you know, are from all walks of life and you've swam in perhaps uh, lakes or oceans with friends or other people, community members, and you've boosted your immunity, you may, you may just very well think that, um, that you have been vaccinated. And uh, if that's your state of mind, I'm not sure who I am to question it. That's right. So I should be able to go anywhere I want because I identify as vaccinated. If you identify as vaccinated, I'm wondering if Facebook is going to start asking you whether you're vaccinated or not. Do you have to wear a mask while you're using Facebook? The, 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 yeah. reason, the reason I'm so animated about this is because this really was very simple. And I think they're playing games with us. I think they're playing games with us when you have uh, uh, Anthony Fauci saying no masks, then mask, then mask outdoors, then double mask, then, then, then chances of acquiring COVID-19 outside are minuscule, direct quote. We knew this a year ago, a year ago, when Dennis Prager and Heather MacDonald and, I don't know, Steve Moore and me and Bill Bennett, who've been writing this stuff for over a year 
Only one of us in that group, an actual doctor, PhD anyway, when we're ahead of the CDC on this, when we were saying a year ago what the CDC is just coming around to, and the WHO, the World Health Organization, never supported masks outside in the first place, this invention of of making Americans walking billboards of panic and fear and illness. That's what this was all about. That's what this was all about. I'm waiting to hear about the vaccinated person that gets COVID. And I'm waiting to hear from the masked community, them telling me none of them did. Those would be two interesting data points we'll never see. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.